This podcast is proudly sponsored by Joro Protein, a Rhode Island plant-based protein supplement company designed for athletes and adventurers. They deliver 25 grams of protein, 5 grams of BCAAs, and 18 essential vitamins and minerals. It's non-GMO, it's gluten-free, it's allergen-free, no artificial flavors, no added sugar or stevia, and it has no additional gums, thickeners, or fillers. Right now, you can get 30% off on this podcast with the code JOROROADYSTRENGTH2022. You can find them at JOROProtein.com. All right, what's going on, guys? Dr. Matt here, host of the Roadie Strength Podcast. Got another special guest on today, Parser Racy. What's going on, man? Not much. Thank you for having me. A pleasure to be here. Of course. Yeah, we're, we're recording out of the Bullfrog Fit Studios. Uh, we got Zach and Amber training upstairs. A couple of guys. I think I saw uh, Vinny up upstairs, too, yeah, getting after it. Yeah, there for a while, too. Yeah. So the, the gym is popping right now. It's 8 p.m., but uh, we're, we're just getting started. So, uh, so just want to give you a, a short bio. So... I know you from here, from Bullfrog, doing a couple of Z camps, mm-hmm. seen, seen you work hard, get after it like everybody. Um, I know just from talking to you, you you, uh, you went to Bryant. Yep. Um, played tennis there. Yes. You guys did pretty well. Not bad. For the, <laughs> yep, for yeah. the four to five years I was there, we took home four championships, so it was nice. <laughs> <Not bad. Yeah. laughs> solid, solid. You can't do much better. Than, you can't ask for more than that. No, no. We were, we were fortunate in that sense. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and we were just talking off air a little bit about uh, – um, you're really big into a little bit of like the, the LinkedIn scene, um, a little bit of, I wouldn't even say like influencer-esque, but, uh, you know, some of that mindset work, business work. Uh, so I really want to dive into some of that stuff um, as well. So just, just to start it off, we're going to get into some of the rapid fire questions. So first one, we got favorite coffee shop. Okay. So I do a lot of my work. So fortunate. Currently I, I'm a financial analyst. I work for my mother's company. Um, and since I have the flexibility going in and out, Main Street Coffee without a nice. doubt. I'm there three to four times a week doing work there easily. And I'm like a regular now. So I, nice. I absolutely love it. <laughs> so you're in East Greenwich a lot. Yes. Is that where, um, born and raised East what, Greenwich. What's your mom's shop name again? Uh, Botanica Wedding Floral. That's right. Cool. I, I was close to using them for my wedding, but unfortunately, <laughs> you guys are so bi- you're so popular. I couldn't I couldn't place. get you. Um, yeah, that Main Street Coffee is awesome. You Quality the- of the coffee is a lot better. Yeah. everyone there is super nice. The people that are there are great, and it's it's sometimes tough for me because I go there, do my work, and get a bunch of yeah. lattes and and good stuff in the morning. Then I go at nights for the bar. So yeah, yeah, it works. Uh, the the bar scene is awesome there too. It's it almost to to some points like gets too busy there. Very. It gets very. packed. That's. I guess I'm fortunate where I I know the bartenders, <laughs> so it's from the back of the room. If they see me, I can just wave a little bit, and yeah. they'll have my drink, I guess, ready the in front of everyone else. But, God, 20 minutes. Yes. And when, it's in, when it's busy in there, it's busy. Yeah. Do you have a go-to there, go-to drink? So go-to drink at nights, I would say you have to get the espresso martini. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. During yeah. the day, recently, they just put out a new seasonal menu, but I get the bourbon vanilla latte. That's all Nice. I get. Yep. Bourbon flavored? Yes. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> not actual nice. bourbon in no. there? No. <laughs> a little too early for me. Yeah, that's solid. Uh, next question. I don't think they have food there, but uh, favorite go-to breakfast spot? <clears throat> that's a very, very good one. Okay. Um, when I was at Bryant for a while, um, God, I don't even remember the name of the place now that I'm gone, but <laughs> it ended up my senior and grad year. Went to a place, Brewology. That was a very yeah. easy spot. I've, um, I've been there recently. Good food, actually. Really, really nice spot. Good lounge. Yeah, nice. that um, I'm I'm living in Providence right now, and uh, there's a couple people I know, just like local musicians and stuff, that will um will play there because they have a pretty good nightlife scene. Yep. Like, 
it's interesting you say that because I I always compare them to Main Street Coffee, but Very just not similar, as packed. But it's a it's a different <laughs> setup. Yep. Yeah. But yeah. going in there for me, it's like if I want something quick, an egg and cheese is sausage egg and cheese is easy go to, and yeah. I don't want to deal with the fake stuff. Especially, yeah. you just feel terrible. Yeah. Food wise, you feel terrible. But over there, you can actually get a legitimate egg and cheese done quick, pretty quick. Honestly, that's and it's clutch. Great quality. So. From from just being there at the nighttime, I can't even fathom how they make make food there because the setup is completely it's bar insane. scene. Yep. So that's cool. That's good to know. Uh, next question we got we're switching uh, switching scripts a little bit. We got favorite Instagram accounts. Now the way I describe this is maybe something that's just entertaining for you, or something that you learn from, or something that you that you just like. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, this is oh, I guess a little bit off talk, but a really yeah. funny one is the gains. It's like the gains, uh, a social dating or like men's type. Instagram, but a lot of memes. It's really funny. Okay. <laughs> um, and then Patrick met David. He's an entrepreneur who has multiple companies, and he runs his own podcast. And but he puts out a lot of good content. If it's if you want anything business or political related, was it Mick David? Uh, Bet David. B E T dash D A V I D. Gotcha. V- really cool. All right. Yeah, you mentioned him off air a little bit too. Yeah, I'm a big fan. Um, cool. Watch a lot of his stuff. I think for someone who, I mean. You can come out of nowhere and argue that some of the content they put out when they're either talking about global markets or political scene or laws, anything, anything that they're discussing that they might be leaning towards one side. But f- for overall news that we're seeing right now, like content wise, I got to say they're one of the best, I think. Really? For, for guys you can relate to or sit down and understand where they're coming from, their, all their backgrounds, they came out, I guess, from nothing and, and really built themselves up and, and they have a huge following now. So that's really I love cool. watching their stuff. So. So it's almost like a like a news, political, financial yes. like side of things. Yep. Just, and like kind of like day to day current events. Yes. Sweet. And and like almost like uh, they they get get into like almost like lay terms, so like you can easily understand it. Yep. In a way. Very very. That's They're a- personable, and it's it's easy versus I mean a lot of people don't want to I guess get their news off Instagram or sure. even online or any yeah. type of news scene. It's just you know it's bad quality. But yeah. These guys are straight <laughs> to the point. They give their own take on everything, so it's nice to see different different perspectives and where people are coming from. So it's easier for you to understand. And the name of the account is Patrick Bet David. Yep, that's his personal account. Nice. What's what's the overall overarching? So the company that they do media out of is Valuetainment. Okay. And they have a bunch of different. I mean, you can go from comedy to skits, and then they have news nice. and they finance. They have a bunch of different stuff. Really cool. But I believe they're out of South Florida. Okay. Cool. Uh, next question: We have favorite podcast. Same thing. Could be just. Something that's entertainment, something you learn from, or something you just like. So I have two that I listen to other than uh, Patrick's. I listen to Exchanges by Goldman Sachs. And this is weird. These, I guess, are more (laughs) a little educational. Um, Exchanges by Goldman Sachs and then Bloomberg Business Week. Nice. They come out pretty often every two, three days, and they just give a good rundown of everything that's going on in the world. I mean, whatever you can think about is is up on there and, and just keeps you updated, keeps you going. What's up, Zach? <laughs> Zach saying hi. <laughs> uh, we might we might grab him and get him on here in a second. Um, all right. So next question we got. All right. Well, let's recap. Patrick's exchanges by Goldman Sachs, Bloomberg Business Week. Those are the best. Those three, are, I think those are big three. Other than yours. Ah, yes. come on. Yes. Stop. <laughs> Love it. All right. Next question we got. Favorite books. Um, and if you're more of a podcast guy than a book guy, I totally get that. So I have two or three. I actually even wrote All them right, down. That's let's crazy. Go. So I used to hate reading books. Sure. Despised it until I finished my master's. And then all of a sudden, I don't know what switched in my head, but started to love reading, started to love books. I got a few. So one of them, if you want, 
um, I guess on relationship status, a friend of mine recommended this. He's a divorce lawyer, and he said this book helped him throughout his career. Is uh, Men Are From Venus, Women Are From Mars. Breaks down just relationship, personal growth. Um, and then I got one, Your Next Five Moves is a good one. And then your uh, The Brothers, Karamazov, are the, I guess, three that are on my bucket list right now that I need to get through. Nice. You're reading them currently? Yep. Uh, what was the last one? Brothers? The Brothers, Karamazov. How do you spell that? <laughs> A-A-R-A-M-O-Z-O-V. Cool. What's that one about? It's basically um, same thing, personal growth, but it basically takes two um, different types of people and, and compares them through different life scenarios all the way through. Cool. But I've heard from, that was actually uh, one of, you know, Jordan Peterson. Yeah. So that was one of his highly recommended books that really? he's read throughout his life. Interesting. Okay. So the uh, same author I know has another one, Crime and Punishment. Crime and Punishment? Which I haven't started yet, but those are, mm. I've heard two really, really good deep down and what what about the other book? Then the next five moves. Are you starting to read that one? That one I haven't started yet. Um, I got to finish the current one I'm on. It was written. It's um, it's basically the seven secrets. It's selling more by selling less. Mm-hmm. It was written by a gentleman, Alan Langer. He's a private consultant. Um, weird enough, he's a friend of mine as well. He works at a Main Street Coffee all the time. No way. But he wrote this book during COVID, and it breaks down how you conduct sales and marketing from either a personal or corporate standpoint, but based on psychology. Interesting. So based on personal, I guess, personality types yeah. and breaking down how people behave based on saying different things. So if you're going to word, hey, do you want to go to this restaurant? You'd say no versus um, would you be against going to this restaurant? And right. just because you're flipping two words, now people are more apt to yeah, be willing to go there just because you rearranged the no from the end of the sentence to the beginning of the sentence. Right. That's one I've, of the first things I took away. I've heard some some um, tactics and some techniques with that with uh, this guy, Alex Hermosi. Yep. Have you heard of him? Yep. Have you seen his Big stuff? Big fan, yeah. So he's got a lot of stuff like that. It's like if you change what someone's going to say, like in a, I might be getting this wrong, but in a, in a sales situation, um, and, and to preface, I'm I I really dived into like sales recently because I I really find it interesting, um, especially the whole concept of like I think most people that aren't in the sales and business world have this kind of like dark view on the word sales in, in general. They 100%. think it's like a dirty car salesman thing. But mm-hmm. um, one of the books I read I'm going way off topic, but uh, Selling is Human by Daniel Pink. Have you have you heard that I've one? I've heard of him, but I've never heard of the book. S- selling is Human was a great book that kind of was allowed me to like change my mind a little bit. Like okay. Every interaction you have, like with another person, and it's one way or another, is is almost like a sales interaction. Hundred percent. So, um, so kind of to flip that script of like, okay, there's something called ethical sales, or something called like, um, you know, if you can convince someone, let's say, like if they're having cancer, if you can convince them to, you know, take a cancer drug, um, like you're saving their life. So like, there's 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 a lot of good ways about it, but um, yeah, Hormozy. He just I, he just wrote a book, if I'm not mistaken. Hormozy, yeah, it's like I gotta uh, start that. Is it hundred million dollar secrets or something like something that? Something like that. His, it was good. I I read that but one. I've seen some I, of the stuff he puts out. Really easy yeah. to understand. And honestly, he's spot on with a lot of the points. He yeah. Makes. So like like um for example, one of the ones he was saying is like if you I think I think this is right. Could be getting this wrong. If you're in a sales situation and you're asking someone like you said, if they if they're automatically saying no, if you flip the switch, it'd be like okay, would you be against it? And it's harder for them to say no versus yes yep. in that situation. So that yeah, it's interesting stuff. That's that's really cool. Um, I I definitely haven't like 
uh, been able to like really practice or use any of this stuff, but I listened to it. I'm like, oh, that's like a, that's a good point. Um, that's one I have to go back and like listen to again, 100%. for sure. Um, but that's cool. So the so the uh, seven secrets selling more by selling yet less. That's the name of the title. That's the name of the title. Um, Alan Langer. Alan Langer, L- local guy. Yep, he's Sweet. Really cool. Is he um, so a businessman, I'm guessing? So he, I know, had a very, very successful career in sales. Um, originally was never a sales guy. Studied huh. something completely different, got into sales, and then had a fantastic career. And then now he does private consulting. Cool. Specifically oh. towards sales and marketing. But he wrote that book. Um, it was recommended to me by another gentleman I work at, at a, that comes out of Main Street Coffee all the time. No way. And I actually ended up meeting Alan <laughs> after the book was recommended and then got to know each other super well. And I, I'm <laughs> halfway through it. And it's, it's, he's, a, one, a great writer. Two, describes and puts everything in a great situation for you not only to understand but kind of relate it to yourself. Yeah. And then three is just the way he breaks down sales because he understands no one wants to sit and be sold and no one actually wants to sell. Right. So right. just re-describing how the process is done and viewing it from a mental side or, I guess, psychologically is, is insane. Yeah. I I get that a lot. I think it was another thing Hormozy said, like, yeah, nobody wants to be sold to, but people want to buy things. Yes. Yes. <laughs> like, people, you give me the opportunity to buy something, like, oh, I want to do it. Yes. But nobody really wants to be sold to, like, in other words. So, But essentially, they're the same thing. It is completely. <laughs> I mean, everything yeah. in the world, if you break anything down, is is ultimately one person selling something or one yeah. person getting a good. It's, yeah. That's just the... It, foundation it is what it is um the other book you mentioned men are from venus women are from mars i have that book too in hardcover which i don't have too many books in i do mostly audible um i was working before i started um actually no when i was working part-time for my my own my business uh doing strength and support i was doing a little bit of work at a nursing home or actually assisted living facility and uh there was a couple there who were like had been married for 50 years like a, like a really long time and uh the wife, who is like well into her nineties, still really, really sharp. Some people, as they age, they stay sharp, and this is one of those people. She was really sharp. Um, they could have a conversation just like me or you right now, like incredible. But this was—that was the book she actually gave it to me. It was matter from. Oh, she's no like, way. here, take this book. This is a really important book. I haven't started it yet, yeah, but I haven't either. <laughs> and that was years ago, so now I have to start it. <laughs> yeah, I'm, that's on my bucket list. I know that's in the yeah. next two or three. Yeah. I just have three right now that I'm. I just try to do. Every day, 10 pages if I can of, yeah. of one of the three and then get to the other two later. So 30 yeah. pages a day, that's manageable. That's cool. And I think a lot of people, especially my generation, I know I'm technically classified as Gen Z. Sure. We're, yeah, well, I'm 99, so okay. it would be Gen Z. And it's we're glued to the phones. Yeah, yeah. We're glued. I can, and I can see it. Like, I mean, even me, myself, like obviously I'm, in the, I'm right above that. I'm the uh, millennial generation. But like I get sucked into it. Like like TikTok or Instagram, like you can get sucked into it super just easy, nonstop. It's sliding. addictive, and it's. I know. Uh, I want to say it was Bloomberg that did the study, or YouTube that did the study, but it was. Yeah. They broke down um, the amount of time and the attention span of people in different generations. So mm-hmm. YouTube saw, I want to say, a ten to fifteen percent decrease in people watching just videos in the last six to eight months because Attention of span. TikTok and Instagram being short from anywhere from 10 to 45 seconds yeah. versus someone watching a five to 10 minute video. Right. So their attention span dropped tremendously and then YouTube saw a drop. And I, yeah. I, right when that study came out, weirdly enough, I went to go look up something on YouTube and, and read something about it. And then automatically I saw the video that was 15, 10, five. I chose the video that was thir- three minutes long without even instinctually yeah. picked it. Yeah. And I was like, like I'm not going to waste my time. Nope. <laughs> yeah. I wake up in the morning sometimes, and I challenge anyone that's listening. Like, 
wake up in the morning and don't even touch your phone. Sometimes that's tough. I go to check emails or whatever it is without even thinking. I, I swipe up, unlock the phone, and immediately I'm on Instagram. Yeah. Just, yeah. It just and happens. I, and I, I end up closing Habitual. it out. And it's crazy that our, I guess, predictions and movements can be predicted. Yeah. No problem. Like if you look at a grocery store, easiest way to predict someone's conscious decisions as a consumer. But how do you mean? Like if you walk in, grocery stores are all, I know, I don't know to a certain extent, but I know everything is done specifically. You put fruits on one section of the aisle and then towards the counters when you're cashing out, it's all cheap, really high margin snacks or chocolate goods, gum, whatever it is that are uh. easy for someone to pick up as they're walking out. And organic and all the foods, everything else is in the back of the store. So you have to walk through the entire store and see right. let's say everything that's processed or whatever it is. You have to go all the way through to the back of that. Like take Stop and Shop, for example. Yeah. Eggs yeah. and milk are in the furthest corner of yeah. the store <laughs> Literally. compared to anything else. Yeah. What is the first thing when you walk in? Uh, stop and Shop. Um, it's- I'm trying to think. So I go to uh, Shaw's. The first thing, surprisingly, is a Starbucks. Yep. <laughs> and then there's a the customer service. There's actually some. Uh, it's actually produce the yep. one I'm at, but I but I know most of them are. Actually, a lot of them are produce. Dave's is very similar. So yeah. produce is always on the right side, and aisle yeah. one, if you is yeah, like, like cereal. It's instant cereal. Yeah. <laughs> high sugar juices, and then super processed snacks are the first yeah. two aisles. Always. Yeah. Chips. Yep. Big one. And bread is all the way at the end too, mm-hmm. which I mean, some some people would argue against bread, but there's some good whole grain yep. bread and stuff out there. You can find something good. Yeah, interesting. And then like all the like the the tomato sauce and like pasta like in the middle. Yep, like the middle section. And then you take just different aisles. If you take into consideration, you see um, a lot of snacks and more kids tailored foods or whatever the snack is. And I mean, this is relative to food. You can put it to any type of industry or sector, whatever store it is. Yeah, you, yeah. You weightlifting. Yeah. But stuff on the bottom shelves are easier for kids to reach based on their height. Uh, so naturally, kid will, if you look like Sour Patch or whatever Oreos, something is on a lower yeah. shelf. If you, let's say you have a stack of 10, on the bottom four shelves will be higher process or more kids tailored foods because a kid can grab that off the shelf. And I used to do that <laughs> as a kid all the time. Oh, yeah. All the time. They're not going to put that where higher than they can reach because they want you to buy parent, it. The parent <laughs> is never going to make that decision. To no, grab no, that. no, no. That's funny. Oh, man. Um, I just I just read another book that was really good. It was all about processed foods, which we don't have to go down that rabbit hole. But um, I'm gonna forget the name of it. Um, oh, meta, meta metabolical. I've mentioned on the podcast okay. a couple times. It was it was dry, but it was good. It was I mean, it's one of those books where it's basically it tells you like what you already know. Processed food is bad, mm. but then the next like 500, 800, how many pages it was was like. These are all the reasons why it's bad. Well, These I are never, all the studies. <laughs> everything. I, not to interrupt you, but like yeah. being, I guess, a, a tennis player my whole life, playing yeah. juniors, I played low-level pros, like in the junior range under 18 for about a year and then played Division One. Yeah, you you tell yourself you're healthy. Like, you know, for the if you took everyone on a spectrum, yeah, you'd, I guess, be tailored towards a little higher end. You eat cleaner, eat a little better. But let's say... Um, I never really understood or knew really how the food system works or how anything works until yeah. my senior year. So I studied law. It was my undergrad. And I, I, my capstone, coincidentally, was a food law class. And I, I didn't really even <laughs> no know way. that until I walked into day one. And the professor was um, – shout out to Professor Ali Dottie. She was fantastic mm-hmm. and super um, educated, very well-known, decorated professor. Broke down food law, but it was our own research. So okay. 
I chose GMO food usage in the United States versus Europe and other countries. If you look right now, I don't know what the, this is two, three years ago, but our GMO corn, soy, sugar, everything is 95%, 92%, 91%. Yeah. Eventually we're just going to be hundred percent. It was like one of the big things that I saw in a bunch of different studies that the big four, like you take Purdue, Monsanto, yep. some of those guys that run all the manufacturing plants. Yeah used to go and just either pressure or find some legal way to get an organic or a small grown farmer, especially on the West Coast, to just end up falling and selling to a big four due to the fact that they just broke some law or something. <laughs> something basically was made up and financially you can't it fight bullied them. You can't fight anyone like that. Yeah. So it's just we're more and more and more leaning towards a bad food system. And if you've ever seen it, I'd I read the um it's, I believe it's called the Farm Bill. Okay. It's one of the most co- complex bills put out by Congress ever, I think. And Interesting. It's just, there are so many layers and layers and layers to this matrix or web. Yeah. That it's just tip of the iceberg. Yeah. That's in- that, that must have been a pretty cool class. It was sick. Yeah. It was like something I, would, I was never used to. It was super different. And it was a small class, too. So yeah. everyone, That's cool. some kids focused on, we, there were other athletes in the course that focused on um, supplements and how supplements oh, are okay. manufactured, how... You see different supplements. It's pretty People, loose regulations on those. You get drug tested, <laughs> and then you end up finding out that you tested positive for some type of substance. I had a, uh, one of my teammates himself. Really? Ended up testing positive for hemp, for THC. No way. But obviously, the kid, he had no idea, but one of his supplements had low CBD traces of like or... hemp powder in it. Like hemp protein. You know, yeah. people you go get the organic hemp. Yeah. No problem off the shelf. Yeah. Yeah, his, uh, one of his supplements had it in there. He had no idea. A lot of those, and I'm sure you can probably talk more to this, but as far as like, the tainted supplements, obviously people love to use that as an excuse, like because kind of like the scapegoat. Like, oh, yep. but there is is legit because like you have these factories, maybe they're overseas somewhere that are producing tons of different supplements using the same equipment, and maybe they don't have really good uh, cleaning processes between one to the next. And then you can get some of those ingredients like commingle or, or co-mix between like one supplement to another. So that stuff happens. <laughs> yep, and the yeah, exactly like you said. The regulations are very <laughs> they're so questionable. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and there really isn't much for the um. With, like, I don't think their FDA really does much at all. Not much. Supplement in, Not much. In I mean, you can yeah. see. I mean, a lot of people kind of shit on the FDA and USDA, even, yeah. like meat cuts. It's just the regulations have, I've, I guess, become way more loose in the past. I guess five yeah. to ten years. Yeah. One thing that's been interesting, which uh, my mom actually works in um, health safety. Oh, sick. Um, so so kind of like OSHA, but she's like more of like a private, like independent auditor over at um, Frito-Lay's up in um, uh, like the Worcester area. But uh, I started because some of the guys up here, they've been onto the raw milk. Mm-hmm. And she's like, don't you fucking drink raw milk. <laughs> I'm like, mom, I'm drinking it. It's pretty good. It's really tasty. She's like, how dare you do that? That's so bad. But I mean, I, I've seen, obviously, I know both sides of it. Like the fact that they've pasteurized milk has like prevented so much disease like from a population standpoint that it's yep. not even funny but then again like i don't know if you're getting it from like a really good source and like you know the farmer and like hey they're doing a good job i don't know i don't see like there's probably some benefit of getting it like pretty pure at the same time sure you're risking it just like you're risking like eating raw eggs or like exactly. undercooked meat like if you know where it's coming from i don't think it's the worst thing in the world but my mom would say otherwise so i'm sorry mom i know she listens <laughs> to some of these <laughs> She sent me some emails like how like the FDA is like pasteurizing milk is one of the greatest successes in the FDA's history of things. I'm like, <laughs> which I I mean and I and my fiance is also lactose intolerant, so we drink a lot of oat milk. So I don't drink that much, mom. Don't yell at me. 
But uh, anyway, um, so we got two more rapid fire questions, which these aren't always so rapid, which is totally fine. We get some uh, yeah, some we've had conversations a, a out of them so far. <laughs> um, so any travel plans been anywhere recently? So um, most recent uh, went down to Miami, Florida, um, cool. for about a week. Uh, went basically two weeks within the same month. Okay. Um, one week I just went for personal relaxation. Um, just kind of got a scope for, I guess, what career stuff is down there looking for the future. Well, and then the other one was down just, there maybe? Yep, eventually. Cool. Um, I'd love to. I mean, and then the other one had to go for work. We had a client that got married down there. They're originally oh, from Rhode Island. So we did the wedding down there and it was, it was great. It was gorgeous weather, 75 every day. Oh. Couldn't go wrong. In, in Miami? Yep. In uh, cool. Brickle specifically. Okay. Like the banking, banking and equity district is gorgeous. Oh. It's like, it's different than for someone who hasn't been to Brickle. I recommend going. It's, if you took Boston and gave it the Miami spin, it was very clean, nice, cool. really nice people, good restaurants. You can drive around, no problem, great stores. It wasn't like your downtown or I guess your South Beach yeah. nowadays if people have gone. It's it's completely different. The only I've been to Miami twice. The only place I've been is South Beach. Yep. Um so and I know there's definitely areas of Miami you don't want to go to that are that are dangerous, but um that's cool knowing that there's okay, there's other parts that are yep. there's that a are lot cool, quieter. So, I've heard yeah. if you're looking at nightlife wise, Brickle's great until Six seven o'clock. Yeah, there's nightlife, but yeah, no, not like the rest of Miami. Yeah, it's very quiet. <laughs> no, that's cool. And then from there, I'm I, I have a ton of points in miles, so yeah. I'm planning <laughs> to go see a buddy of mine in London. Um, nice in, in May, July ish. Cool. So I want to cool. see if I can possibly stop by Wimbledon for a day or two. <laughs> you ever been? No, I haven't. That's gonna be cool. Wimbledon's one of the ones that lifetime you you got to make a trip one time. During during May, July, is there anything going on there? I don't believe so, other than, I mean, I know the Prem, it, Prem is going on, so if you can get a game either midweek or Friday, Sunday, then great. Cool. But if not, I mean, there's so much you can do. That's awesome. Wimbledon's grass field, right? Yes. So kind of similar to, to Newport in a way. Yeah, very, yeah. very. So <laughs> I know Newport has been tailoring their tournament a little bit more towards Wimbledon. So before, oh, the, cool. the reason Wimbledon is a little different than a lot of other grass tournaments is that underneath the grass and then you have the soil or whatever it is, there's cement underneath Wimbledon's courts. So a lot of times if you're playing on authentic grass, there's a few clubs that you can find authentic grass, just dirt right underneath. Yeah. The play style is completely different. Ball bounces a lot lower. It mm. doesn't really grip off the grass. It skids a little bit. The balls get a little hefty due to moisture. But Wimbledon, the balls bounce a little bit higher. That's why you see the guys, they tear up the baseline a lot. They can actually plant their feet a little bit better. Yeah, they're playing with grass court shoes. Sure. Have little stuff. Like, you get better grip. Yeah. Um, but still... You will see pros, and I used to be a women's hitting partner, so I've I've heard. Um, what, what does that mean? Like I used to train on the WTA for the women. There were a few tournaments where I was a training partner. Cool. So basically, if these, I guess, outside of the top fifty or whatever it was, a girl didn't have a training partner and needed a warm up partner before her match, like in the morning, mm -hmm. I used to be one of those training partners. So I'd go nice. out, either train, yep, <laughs> for the entire hour and a half session or whatever it is, or even just a half an hour warm up in the morning before they go out and play in the afternoon. So it nice. gave me like a great insight because every kid always wants to go pro but yeah yeah you only know only a certain very very small percentage actually makes it and if you yeah. look at the total numbers it's like you you know at a young age whether you're doing it or not realistically yeah so, yeah i feel like it's like that with a lot of sports very because very. of how competitive it is now like you have to there really aren't i feel like very many late bloomers like no. you have to be good from the start very. incredibly good yeah very i mean i'm sure there's some exceptions but like most people like you have a gift when it is pretty obvious from the you start. Know yep yep and i mean i guess for tennis like it, 
being in New England is obviously tough. I yeah. mean, how many kids you see are, are ranked in the top 10, top 50 is, is very slim compared to states you see like it's like New York, Florida, California, Texas, your normal states that you expect. Those are the big states for yeah, tennis? Naturally. Yeah. Naturally. Just That's because right. climate is obviously a huge thing. Sure. Um, your competition around you is a lot better. I would say yep. a lot of times if you're looking at Division One coach, and I've heard from from coaches at, like, let's say UCF, I used to know a coach down there, and um, some schools in California, I guess the big ones, um, but they wouldn't even look at high school results unless you were in a specific area. So I had teammates of mine um, played in, there were Florida kids, yeah. but their Florida high school league is completely different than a league you would expect, I guess, in the Northeast or in other states, okay. where it's like, yeah, you have kids come play recreationally, and then you have a few kids who might play full-time, and then some that are, are decent. Yeah. These kids, their roster, every single kid went to Division One, <laughs> and they're they're playing six to eight other teams who are just like that. So yeah. in, in that case, your high school results may actually matter in the competition sure. you're playing versus anything up here. So yeah, it's probably almost world. like high school football in like Texas or something Same thing. like that. God. It's just yeah, everybody's just next level. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Um, um, going back to the grass court, have you played at the Newport course? Yeah, I have. Yeah, a uh, bunch of times. <laughs> they used to host a tournament like two, three weeks before the actual tournament. It was basically for like people around here, young yeah. college kids. And it was like a qualifying tournament to get a spot in the qualifying. Okay. But it was like a pool. I believe the draw was a 32 draw. But I played that once or twice and then a few other uh, men's open tournaments there because they host a national men's open during the summer. Cool. After the tournament. So I've played those, but grass is a whole different world. And yeah. It doesn't suit my game style. Sure. I also don't have the patience or the mental tolerance for it. <laughs> for grass. Yep. <laughs> You're more just regular court. Hard court. Yeah. Yeah. You, you, I guess fast, grippy hard courts are, are my preference. Sure. Um, I guess I've never had the best footwork, and I never, when I was younger, prioritized footwork, even though everyone says footwork, footwork. Yeah. You don't realize it really makes a difference until you uh, until it just hits you one day and you're like wow my footwork is terrible <laughs> so are you talking like pure speed and agility or actually the ability to like cut and like make turns and i would say both yeah speed okay. agility you can argue i mean yeah you can have guys who can still keep up with kids who move better than them or just based on play but sure there are a lot of scenarios where just specific steps or cuts or the way you transition your body make a huge difference Gotcha. Okay. Body position. Everything. Literally where you put your foot compared to somebody yep. else. Even how you pivot on it. Moving let's say I'm I'm stepping out to my right and I for people who know tennis, you're hitting a forehand cross court. Mm -hmm. So it just means you're going across the court with your forehand on your dominant side. Sure. So for me that'd be on my right side, I'm stepping outward. Now I can place my foot. So there's two to three different stances. You have open, closed, and neutral. Okay. Open stance means basically my chest and my body is facing the court. Closed stance means I'm perpendicular to the court and neutral is in between, which is naturally what most people play in. Sure. I can step into closed stance completely across, or I can step going diagonal. Okay. And just that difference of a 45-degree angle still in the same stance can change basically where my ball is going in, in the entire court. Wow. My chest opens up. My hips turn and rotate, open up. So a lot of times I used to tell kids that I used to train – if you're going in open stance, you want to give yourself a little more forgiveness, step diagonally. Because then now your hips are just naturally, even if it's an inch, two inches, yeah. coming across the ball, you have a better flexibility to go across the court rather than trying to put it there when, even if you're in a different position. Right. It just gives you forgiveness. Interesting. And you and you used to coach um, 
was it high schoolers? Or? So I used to coach um, privately a bunch of kids who played juniors. Nice. Um, some older people in the 30s, 40s who just wanted to get back into their play. And, and juniors then, is between, is that between high school and college or is that? Juniors can be anywhere from high... 12 to 18. Okay. technically what juniors is. But a gotcha. lot of times juniors start, kids really start getting serious. Up here, at least in New England, anywhere from, I guess, 14 to 17 is really when it's, if you want to make it or you know you're going, then that's the age when you're grinding. And is juniors like so similar to like juniors um, hockey, for example? Similar. Like, yeah. Similar. Okay. So there are tournaments nowadays. There's a bunch of different circuits. So before it was always the ATPWT was the pros. Then below that you have your Challenger Tour, which is like smaller tournaments. So the guys are still ATP. Below that you have ITF, which is like the pro circuit for kids who are under the age 18. Mm-hmm. So you have that, and then below that in the US, the USTA runs a bunch of tournaments, which is the main sanctioned circuit, and then you have another one that's UTR that. Relatively in the past, I guess, five, six years has been new, giving just a, a whole different – it's a whole different system, yeah. but it's giving people a chance to play in a more open bracket than – you have the USTA, for example, is like you have 12s, 14s, 16s, 18s, you have men's, but UTR, a lot of these kids who want to play up or do different things don't necessarily have to play up in one age group. They can go and play a men's open. They can play anyone who's 30. They can play a college kid. They can play – 22-year-old, they can play a 12-year-old. Nice. So I've seen a lot of the UTRs that I've played for either $2,000, uh, $1,000, $3,000 cash, 5000 You get kids who are all different age groups. Gotcha. And for, I guess, me now that I'm out of school or at that time when I was in school, good chance for me to train and get match play at, at a college level. But also gives the kids that I've seen younger, one, they get the experience of traveling, which you yeah. know, a lot of times you go with your parents or whatever it is. It's great, but you don't really get the experience because you're not at like a real i guess tournament or a tournament that's a little bigger like you see guys at different yeah. it inspires you at a younger age sure and then two these kids get to play up automatically right and they get a better skill set they can compete a little bit higher and it's like from a kid's standpoint if i was that age and i could play these tournaments i was like sick i'm playing for i'm playing for money <laughs> like i feel you're mentally in a better space to actually work harder and just grind you have nothing to lose how so. good do you feel as a young kid playing against someone who's older than you maybe more experienced and you beat them it's, it's, it feels crazy. It feels crazy. I've only had two or two or three of those, um, yeah. but the two or three that I had were were just a different feeling. Because like, there's not many sports that are probably actually like that. No. Like if if you're if you're let's let's say playing hockey for example, like yeah, sure, there's some variance, but like um, I don't know. Usually, it's like the bi- the bigger older guys are all playing their league. The younger guys play all playing. There's not really any mixing. Yep. But I guess with a sport like tennis, because it is like a well, maybe you could uh, give me an example. Because like, it's team, but it's also individual at the yep. same time. I guess for college anyway. For college, yep. Um, but in an individual sport, like it doesn't matter if you're bigger, stronger. It's like, are you a better player or not? Exactly. You could be 10 years old. You could be like a 25-year-old. Yep. Like, if you are that good, that's really interesting. Yep. And I, uh, there was one time, it was like probably one of the more nervous <laughs> matches. It was on grass, too, which didn't help me whatsoever. <laughs> but I played a um, – because a lot of these tournaments are open when you're playing for cash. So gender-wise, it's not a split. So oh, I okay. ended up drawing a girl who was um, playing. So, so they don't separate gender? No. Interesting. So, okay. I mean, there are, but yeah. a lot of times there aren't, I guess, a lot of girls that are playing or college or they're playing different tournaments where they don't come in and play the Opens. And I ended up drawing a girl who was ranked like 600 in the world in women's um, <laughs> on grass, too, which didn't help me. And she was like playing a bunch of feeder and warm-ups to go for a feeder tournament in Connecticut and then playing the U.S. Open. Oh, my God. 
Yeah, I won the first set, like 6-1, oh. no problem. I was feeling great. I was like, all right, this is a breeze. And then just the second set in like 20 minutes, I, I lost like 6-2. And I was like, oh, my God. Oh. And I was like, everybody's watching. Like, a bunch of my buddies are here. Like, my coach is there. Like, And I was like, all right, I can't. I ended up pulling it out in the third set, like the tiebreaker. And I was like, all right, no problem. But that one was – it's a mental – it's a mental battle. Yeah, I guess too. Seeing it from the other side of like, okay, am, am I getting beat by someone who's like, for um, for other sports? I mean, like we could use like basketball for example, or like typically like the men's just just purely due to physical attributes of like men are typically taller. Yep. Like a men's team versus women's team, there'd be no doesn't matter what team you're on. Like it doesn't the men would destroy the women's team yeah. for the most part. I mean who knows? Maybe that uh what was the Iowa team that just wanted to yep. they're, they're, they're uh, awesome. LSU, yeah. They're, and... they're, <laughs> but uh um uh yeah but so but in tennis like there is a huge difference though. Is there? There is, is there a, so right when I started the first time you always see there's a difference. One obviously strength, speed, yeah abilities okay. of difference. Girls also, for people who know tennis, like close and open stance, women naturally tend to play in open stance. Okay. And men naturally tend to play in a close stance because you're driving through the ball a little more, hitting a little bit harder. Women play with a little more spin, a little more height. But gotcha. the first biggest thing I noticed is right when I was a hitting partner for, at the time, it was the WTA in Connecticut. It was uh, two weeks before the U.S. Open. Yeah. So you got uh, top girls, top 30, top 20, and then everyone else that's kind of feeding in. The biggest thing I noticed is that girls actually hit the ball very, very hard and in a straight line. So guys play naturally with a lot of spin. You're dropping. You're rolling over the top. A lot of RPMs. But women tend to actually hit the ball a lot flatter. So the ball is coming at a little faster pace than I was normally expecting. Like psychologically, from from my peripheral, when I see the ball coming and I see a certain height coming over the net, yeah, these balls are becoming faster at me because I wasn't expecting that that look right right um you're you're expecting uh curve balls but you're getting yep, fastballs yep. and then uh <laughs> women when it comes to the serve obviously guys hit a lot bigger serves strength wise sure um that and, makes sense yeah and one of the big deciding factors i realized there was a coach there who coached a few women and the but he coached on the guys on the tv he said the biggest difference is that so you have three serves on the men's side you have a flat serve kick serve and your slicer flat is your big bomb like you're hitting it just straight as hard basically as hard as you can yeah, yeah. kick serve you're brushing the back of the ball so it bounces and kicks upwards in okay. a certain direction slices you're coming around the side of the ball or the top corner of the ball and it, it hits the ground and kind of slides off the court women naturally from if you take a majority standpoint sure. only have a flat or a slice serve and i so there's a, a girl, I was hitting with a girl, Danielle Collins. Mm-hmm. At the time, she was a few years out of UVA. She was ranked highly, but um, after I hit with her the next year, she like that was basically her breakout year. No Reached way. a Grand Slam final, won a bunch of tournaments. Now I want to say she's ranked top 20. Wow. Like currently? Currently. Wow. And the first way I noticed is we were warming up, and naturally guys hit kick serves. That's your automatic go-to. Yeah. So I was yeah. hitting them, and... It's not like she was struggling to return them, but it almost looked like she was like kind of shocked. Yeah. And the coach came up to me after like five, ten minutes. He's like, Hey man, can you can you stop hitting kick serves? <laughs> I was like I was like, What do you mean? And he's like, That's uncommon for a girl to have a very, very strong or, or heavy kick serve. Yeah. And I didn't realize and I was like, What is the reason? So I had ended up meeting two or three other coaches and I kinda asked the same question because I was like super interested. Yeah. I, when you see it on TV, normally you don't see these types of things unless you're literally on the court or you've you've sure. seen it or been around in your whole life. Yeah. He was like, Women naturally don't work on their rear delts or have a strong <laughs> rear delt, which is the reason why they can't naturally kick up in this motion super fast. Gotcha. And I realized 
from that point on, a lot of tennis players, like, yeah, your shoulders are strong and, and you can swing through the ball at a high speed, but tennis players naturally don't work on the rear delts a lot. So, no reason to. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but that is the muscle that basically can control whether you're injured or not on when you're serving. That's where you get your, uh, a lot of your pain from is coming back here when you're going up. You, your motion would be coming back behind you over the top, and then you're brushing going outwards. Interesting. But it, the, a lot of the speed and strength comes from your rear delt. Interesting. Which, I mean, for me, whenever I worked out or lifted or whatever it is, I played soccer my whole life as well, and yeah. I wrestled for, for two years, but I never worked out as a tennis player. I always worked out as football player, basketball player, soccer player, way different lifts. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I, I think that benefited me in a lot of ways, but at the same time, I could see compared to other people, maybe my movement wasn't as good, I wasn't as fast. Forward, I would say, was decent, but still not compared to some of the kids sure, I was sure. playing with. But at the same time, I naturally had a, a bigger, stronger serve just because I think I was developed differently than your yeah. natural tennis player was. And I, and I was fortunate I never got hurt, ever. There you go. The only pain I'd maybe have is, I mean, you naturally get tennis elbow or tendonitis. Yeah. I got it in my right elbow, and then I got it in one of my knees. But yeah, take a yeah. little time off, it goes away. But my shoulders, yeah. no pain. And I saw a lot of my teammates, even other kids that I knew at other big schools. Yeah. Shoulder pains all the time. And I was like, the reason is because your real delts aren't developed enough right. for you to be hitting consistently at the speed that you're hitting at. It makes even, sense. Even me, myself, like, serve was always my, my strength, and, I'd, and I would hit a huge serve, like 105, 110 plus. She, all damn, the time that's, but, that's oh, fast. but it's unsustainable like yeah yeah so i would just consistently go let's say a week a month and i'd just be hitting these all the time and eventually i'd, I'd get soreness or pain yeah just yeah. because it's it that muscle off. is is a smaller muscle it's like a specialty muscle that's yeah. how i'd how i'd compare it and obviously you know the skeletal wise better than me yeah yeah but you can only go to a certain extent <laughs> or work on that muscle so after you i started, get an overwork injury yeah. or something like that yeah so when i was younger once i learned that whenever i did shoulders did anything i always worked on my rear delt a little bit more than the front because these sure. two are front and side are obviously a little more dominant yeah. and stronger. So I, I basically, I was behind the line with right. rear delt. So how I thought about it is like you put all three on a racetrack, sprinting 100 meters, my side delt and my front delt automatically are 25 yards ahead of my rear right. delt. So I was like, all right, I need to work my rear delt a little bit harder. And serve ended up getting better, more consistent. I was faster and I, I had no pain ever. That's awesome. So that was you had really good balance yep. to your shoulders. Yep. Especially because when you're actually coming through with the serve, you're probably getting a ton of front delt activation. Yep. So that that muscle is probably already overpowering the other one. Yeah. As a, as a tennis player in yep. general, that makes a lot of sense. It was weird. They, yeah. They, I I guess if you ask a hundred, let's say college tennis players, for example, yeah. if you were to split men's specifically, yep. They would a lot of times say, "Yeah, women, no problem. They'd never have a chance to get a guy." And and you can very well argue that. Uh, I had a teammate of mine who ended up going pro. Kid was phenomenal. One of the yeah. best players ever to come out of the East Coast in a long time. Nice. This kid, he went to Bryant, one of the easily the most decorated athlete there, Matt yeah. Kuhar out of Smithfield. Cool. cool. Shout out to him. Local um, guy. Yep. He, obviously, you could argue that from my perspective, I can take Kuhar and compare him to a top 50 girl. Like, Kuhar would probably win that match. Yeah. And, and yeah. there's a number of reasons. Obviously, he's stronger, faster, better strokes, and, but, also, the separation is not just physical or mental. It's also game style. Guys naturally play cross-court a little bit more for the rally and then switch direction to go down the line or, or play aggressive. You can see a lot of times if you watch women in the top 100, it's a, a lot of variety. Yes, they still play cross-court for the majority, yep. but there's way more, I guess, variety of changing direction and moving around. That's why I think women naturally play an open stance a little bit more because you're a little more on the run than guys kind of sitting in a pattern. Right. Until they have a chance to make make the move or whatever it is. Gotcha. That's really interesting. Um, you you mentioned earlier a little bit off air that you were working with um, 
you said you said there was a really high level coach that you yep. were working with early on. Yep. Was that when you were in high school? Yes, that was in high school. So it was a guy, Justin uh, Justin Natale. He was a brown guy. Ended up going to Harvard. He went pro for a little bit. And now he's a he was a hitting partner for a long, long time. Phenomenal player. Um, but he actually showed me. I mean, we were talking about it off air, but the yeah. one study for people who know it, Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell. Yeah, yeah. Is um, a book that was done on um, the biggest, I guess, main point out of the coming. The book is the ten thousand hour rule, where they found they studied originally Canadian hockey players, elite hockey players, and then they went on to compare it, the study to the Beatles and then Bill Gates. But no these people were more successful because they were able to get this number of 10,000 hours of training or practice or game, whatever it is, mm -hmm. that put them above what their competition was. So sure. the biggest thing they found out of hockey players was off the bat whenever it was based on when you were born. Right, so right. they took the study of, of different age groups for multiple years, and they found that kids that were born in January, February, March, April, uh, May, had a higher chance of going pro and were objectively better hockey players and physically more developed, faster, stronger, and, and skated a lot better. And they, because at the cutoff, I believe hockey's January 1, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I'm not sure. So yeah. if you're in that period, you end up playing up with the kids who are above you. Right. So naturally, you end up playing with kids who are already more developed. So automatically, you're going to more, I guess, be um, get to work even harder. Yes, to, exactly. to, to meet their to meet their level. So the NHL, um, it, so what he called it, it was by uh, Anderson Erickson. It was the ten thousand hour rule. That's where he found. But okay. where Malcolm Gladwell it was called the accumulative advantage is what basically he called it. And the dates were January to June. And then the NHL did the study themselves. So they took every player in the NHL in the year of 2013, and they broke it down by when these guys were born and based on success. But they didn't take any Canadian hockey players into account. So these are the numbers based on everyone else that is in the NHL in 2013. So January 51, February 46, March 61, April 49. Go to the last four months of the year. You have September 36, October 34, November 33, and December 30. So okay. the players that went pro that were non-Canadian in 2013, 207 of them in the NHL were born in the first four months. And they found <laughs> that 133 were born in the last four months. So twice as many, essentially. In the first four <laughs> months of the year. Wow. So, so a significant difference. So the NHL saw that after his research came out, they were like, yeah, this is, this is on. Yeah. It's not like, oh, those are like a 5 or 10%. No, yep. it was like 50%. 50%. That's insane. So, so why did they include Canadian hockey players? Because it's Canadian different. Canadian hockey players. They took – the study was done on elite Canadian hockey players. Oh, oh, that were, okay, okay. They saw kids who were born in beginning of the year naturally had a higher progression and a higher um, pathway to go pro. A lot better just because they are one more skilled and they were younger. Right, right. And then the same thing was done with the Beatles, where they compared the Beatles. Um, they did practice hours and show hours, the Beatles compared to everyone else in that genre. And the Beatles put up way higher hours of show and performance compared to anyone else, which they hit that, I guess, quote-unquote, that 10,000-hour 10, mark. Right, Which right. led to their success. And the same thing with Bill Gates. When he was starting his companies back in the 80s and 90s, he put in way more hours than anyone else in the same realm or people who were already ahead of him. Right. So it's that training and that amount of hours they saw 10,000 was basically the digit that put you ahead of the curve with a competitive advantage. So 10,000 hour rule. So let's say what what's the math on that? Is that is that like 10 years of like full-time work or something like that? I I know I I I did the math. I'll see if I can look it up. So 10,000 hours. I think it's I think it works its way out to be something like that. 
which I've seen even even with tennis in my so my brother's a tennis player. He's a he plays at Bryan as well. He's Division One, phenomenal tennis player, lefty, really strong, naturally gifted. And I think the reason why my brother, for I guess his age group or when he played, was just naturally gifted and talented. And take into account a lot of times when when he was younger, he didn't really train much, didn't want to go out and put in the hard work. But this kid was naturally gifted. Yeah. And at least me personally contribute. The reason why is because he used to always play up with me and and the kids I trained. Yeah. With. Yeah. So he just naturally had to figure out and deal with kids who were stronger, faster, and hit a bigger ball. And then let's take, I don't know, six months or a year into account, bang, flipped. And yeah. now automatically he is in a stronger position than other kids his age group. And it's like that old saying, like you, you, you're kind of the sum of the people you surround yourself yep. with. Like if you're, if you're a good athlete and you just put yourself into that training environment with other athletes are better than you, you are going to get better. And there's a, I don't know if you've heard it, it's the Rosado effect. So there's a, no, I there's heard a, that. look that up. There's a, a it was a, a study done, same thing in Pennsylvania that found basically it was Italian Americans who lived in this one town had a longer lifetime, um, less heart rate, less oh, health yeah. illnesses, nothing in this town. And they basically blamed, or not blamed, they concluded that the reason they ended up calling it the uh, Rosado effect was based on on the town name, but it was these people lived longer because they kept their community influence and lifestyle all the same. They were surrounded by the same people who did the exact same thing. Yeah. So naturally, if they stripped their, I guess, Italian heritage and lived little more Western American, ate differently, did different stuff, more active, whatever it is, mm. everyone in the community was the exact same. They were surrounded by the same people who were doing the same thing, so they were influenced to follow the crowd, which ended up leading this Italian town to have a higher life expectancy, less heart-related uh, issues, and, and cardiovascular were a lot better and stronger. That's wild. Yep, decreased, um, d- decreased, reduced rate of heart disease. Yep. <laughs> Interesting. Crazy. I also, completely unrelated to that, there was a podcast I listened to on Joe Rogan uh, with this guy who uh, um, was a, he's, he's very Italian, but Italian-American, who was a um, big jiu-jitsu guy. I'm going to forget the name of him. Uh, it's funny, the way he looks and the way he sounds, he looks, looks so innocent, so young, like, but he's a killer in jiu-jitsu. And he's big on, like, yeah, I, I sourced, kind of back to what we were talking about earlier, all of my food from Italy because, because of the GMO thing. And like the way they make pasta and everything, like he's like, if I eat pasta from here, it screws up my stomach. If I eat it this from the source from Italy, I'm completely fine. I feel great. <laughs> so it's really, it's really interesting. interesting. Like, yeah, not not completely related, but the Italian American thing. Like, many remember, like, oh yeah, like this uh, pretty wild. Um, there, I mean, I know there's a, a number of of different factors that are like, if you take, I know, um, I want to say it was either John Locke or Karl Marx, but they basically had a societal um, effect that was very similar to this. And they, I was one of the two, but um, it was like a a political theory that said people from, it was basically like, if you were related now, it'd kind of be like systemic or social hierarchy. Excuse me. People from a, a certain town or let's say a certain age group, certain financial backing, people ended up, if you were going to put everyone on a wet, on a on a graph, let's say a bar graph, the people that were higher up were from a community that was very the same or were a little more affluent, and then you had people from different communities who was maybe left aff- less affluent, surrounded by a little bit crime more. Those people next forty years ended up having lower levels of education or this that whatever it was, just because of society factors, literally right. due to nothing else. Yeah, not even mental capacity, IQ. Um, That's the one variable. Whatever it was, yeah. literally influenced based on community. Yeah. And it was broken down. Like, 
they did uh they took social into account they took money into account they took race into account and then they took um geographic into account as well but Community. this is this is like an old very very old theory like it's got to yeah. be 1800s 1900s well community is important i mean even from from being a part of two different crossfit gyms which that's like that's one of their precipices of like why they're successful is the community part of it um but also like even like a gym like here like um one of the things that i forget what there was like some sort of like course or then something we went to for um one of the crossfit gyms was that like you can't just let community happen you have to actually like curate it yes so for especially for a gym like this i don't even know if um I think it is. I think it is. Um, they do it on purpose, but like what they've built here, which is a fantastic community as far as the gym goes. First thing it's I unbelievable. saw day one when I got to Bullfrog <laughs> was that. But they, but they, I, I'm pretty sure. I've never asked them in person. But I'm pretty sure it's something that they have intentionally tried to curate. Like this is what we want our gym to look like. This is what we want our gym to, um, like the members to be like. This is what we want, like the st- general style of training to be like. And um, but like from one of the courses I went to is like you can't just let it happen because it will just kind of like become its own thing and it might get away from you. Um, and you have to kind of like there'll there'll be toxic people that come into the community and you have to actively like get them out and like it, it's it's very important and it's very interesting. And in the gym space, it's like to me, that it's applies, very apparent. <laughs> I can't even describe how much that applies to Bullfrog. Yeah, yeah and it I've does. been here for I don't know maybe two years now, two and a half. Yeah, instantly when I I joined day one. <laughs> It, it, that was one of the biggest biggest value props. The culture, that I saw yeah. Immediately, the community. culture, community. Yeah, everyone is super outgoing. Everyone's yeah. super cool. There's not like, and I know a lot of people can relate to this. You go to a gym, you get intimidated. Mm-hmm. Even when I used to go lift at Bryant in our athlete gym, sure, there were a few guys who ended up were NFL agents or ended up going pro in basketball. You have guys who had ended up going AAA or AA, even NHL. Yeah, or, sorry, excuse me, MLB from yeah. Bryant. And I used to see these kids in the gym automatically. Yeah, I was I was intimidated. Sure. But, a lot of people can crawl into a hole and I guess be a little intimidated, but I sometimes, yeah, would would actually be genuinely like, all right, like, I let me go to somewhere else. But yeah, it also like fueled me. Yeah, yeah, when yeah. I, yeah. When <laughs> I get intimidated, it's like, all right, I need to, I want to put up a little more weight. I want to be able to compete in that same realm. Totally. Where, where I can be at that level. And it was totally. the same thing right when I saw Bullfrog. Like, not to that extent where anyone intimidated, but everyone's super comfortable. Yeah. Someone will come to you and ask you, hey, like. What is your take on this, or how can I clean my RDL? Let's let's take Zach, Jerry, and, and Sam Steen, for example. Yeah, yeah. My bench form, dumbbell bench, RDL, um, trap, and we'll take general exercises into account. Yeah. My form is cleaned up so, so much. That's awesome. Right off, I want to say the first six months I was there, <laughs> I got my dumbbell bench form completely changed before yeah. and a lot of times in in college i'd be surprised if there are a lot of kids who really know clean form oh really yeah. understand how to lift yeah. different muscle groups it's not bottle like it's not bodybuilding i mean no. no it's just let's put up weight and and grow which yeah yes as strong be, as possible as quick yeah, as possible it can be beneficial <laughs> in so many ways but at right. the same time right when i got here I, let's say i used to be able to do 80 90 hundreds on the dumbbell for six to eight nine reps like I yeah. could muscle in and it was that was good weight. Sure. When I came here and my form cleaned up in in literally I'm not even can you ten minutes. Zach and Sam cleaned <laughs> my form up in ten minutes. Oh I actually couldn't do the seventies or the sixty five <laughs> for a ten. It, 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 it was like I realized, wow, I've been doing everything so wrong. Yeah. And now I'm one risk wise, I'm so much safer. Right. I'm not going to get injured. I know that my yep. form is cleaner. I learned. Yeah. First off. I can go on and let's say someone else is struggling. Like if I if I really want or they need help, I can actually end up 
showing that person how to clean up their form and then everyone ends up getting better in the long run. Totally. And and aesthetically, I, I, I think I look better. Yeah. So <laughs> it's working. 100%. You're working and you're being safer. That's why I love this place yeah. so much. Yeah. It's, it's like it's a whole world on its own. So what what time usually come in? You come, you come in late, right? So I used to yeah. come in the mornings, but now <laughs> I come in some weird hours. Definitely <laughs> late night. And then I've had my fair share of sessions at 1, 2 a.m. in the morning. Nice, nice. Um, so I have a couple other questions as far as the, uh, the, the podcast goes, just in general. But I wanted to see – I know you took some notes down. Um, I wanted to make sure to see if there's anything else you really wanted to make sure you uh, touched on because I know um, I, we touched about it briefly when we first started, but some of the stuff you're doing like maybe on LinkedIn yep. or, or some of the other stuff you're diving into. So uh, why I love this and respect to you obviously for doing it is yeah. one, it gives everyone a different chance to go and learn or be educated on different topics in their own personal way. Yeah. Like if you take the school system into account, our school systems haven't changed on a, on a global standpoint. True. If you look at a classroom now versus a classroom back in the early 1900s, it's exactly the same. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I mean, in the 40s and, and let's say 2023, the classrooms are basically set up the same. I mean, maybe a little more collaborative, more innovative, but still baseline, it's Professor or teacher in the front of the room and everyone kind of rows, yeah, whatever it is. Tests. <laughs> yeah. So that hasn't changed. Yeah. But what has changed is the way people are absorbing and getting different information. So like for we'll take me into account, I don't like I guess watching the news or whatever. I just I just don't like to see the different views and it's more entertainment now than I think yeah. informative or anything. They have to think that's where they get that's the dollars from. The advertising yep. dollars from being entertaining. And it's not even <laughs> it's not even by choice. Like people are no. like, Oh, yeah. like well, well, I don't know, uh, Don Lemon up there, or um, what's the Fox guy's name? I forgot his name. Um, uh, <laughs> the opposite of Don Lemon. <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, 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 Tuck, it, Tucker Carlson. Tucker yeah, yeah, Carlson. Yeah. Like people expect, like he's literally doing that jokingly, but that's just that's his job. That's literally what he has yeah. to do. Like, he's, yeah, yeah, he can behave in a complete other way. Like, sure, people doubt that they're like, oh, this guy's just talking out of his ass, but that's. I would disagree. I, I personally would be like, no, that's his job. That's that's right. what he has to do. That's what he has to portray. If he wanted to be a different way, then he wouldn't be at, in, on Fox Primetime. Yeah. Like, he could right. go to any other newscast and, and behave super maturely or talk very informatively, but yeah. that's, he's in a phenomenal position. He's on Fox Primetime. Like, he's getting paid to, for the ratings for the reason that's why he does things. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And it's... It's and calculated. That's why, like, <laughs> we'll take in, like, LinkedIn to account. I know, uh, basically, you can say everyone has a LinkedIn. Um, yeah, But true. a lot of people, and I've seen colleagues of mine, friends of mine, who who hate it for the reason that they think it's complete bullshit, which before I used to agree with. Yeah. Like, you would see, I don't know, people just reposting something or just, I got a promotion, I got this, I got that. And it's, yeah. like, basically to just, I guess, jack up your confidence. Yeah. But ever since I kind of switched mine to, I guess, a creator, LinkedIn, and I've been actually putting out content related to politics, law, capital markets, general finance, banking, and just putting out general information either I see or how I interpret something or my personal view, my entire feed completely changed <laughs> to people who are doing the same thing. And like, I'll take this, for example, this kid who graduated from Michigan State. He has his MBA and he has his JD, did the program together, but he started doing this exactly. And this thing, this kid came up on my, on my, had no idea who he was. He had no connections, nothing. He came up on my feed, ended up connecting with him, just spoke to him on DMs for a little while. But this kid nice. puts out like an article a week and then he puts out a video a week, like one, oh, short, one to two minute. But I've learned stuff from him, like just him putting out info that I didn't even know. Yeah. And um, just someone like that. And my feed has gotten a lot better now in the mornings <laughs> yeah. instead of listening to like a rap. I, I think a lot of people, like to talk about the dark side of social media in general, but there obviously is benefits there to are. it. There are. It's it 
by definition, by name, social media. It's like you can be very social and meet different people and make different connections through those uh, through those outlets, through LinkedIn, through Instagram, through Facebook, even through TikTok. Yep. Although TikTok could be a, a different one on its own, but it, they are. They're social. I think back in the day, I'm like, ah, oh, it's like, cause this is way long ago. I'm like, ah, oh, social media is stupid. I'm like, blah, blah, blah. Like, it's blah. But I remember it was like, I think it was my girlfriend at the time. He was like, well, like, if you want to be more social, like, that's kind of not a bad way to do yep. it. Like, you're like connecting with different people. And, I, and for some reason, that stuck with me. I'm like, you know, that's a good point. And obviously, there is the dark side of it. There's like comparing yourself to other people. You can get the like, culture now, I think, is terrible. Yeah, Especially it can be. Maybe for not as much my generation. I would obviously tailor it towards, I think, I think females struggle a little bit more yes. on the confidence yep. side. Yep. Um, comparison side. Just Everything's filtered. Self, yep, Every, yeah. Everything. And I forgot who it was who told me this, but they just put it out there. It was a, it was a girl who was an influencer too. Yeah. Made good money, had at least a hundred thousand, a friend of mine. And she used to be like, Instagram is just a, a highlight reel. And yeah, I was like, sure. you're completely right. Sure. You're yeah. Not, you're not going day to day, whatever. You're just taking your camera roll from a certain period of time and finding the best picture with a good caption, toss yeah. it up. Right. Just to keep a certain either image or whatever it is. I mean, yeah, don't get me wrong. People love, you can put out whatever you want and yeah. enjoy it. But to an extent now, I think the culture has shifted a little bit more where, it's affecting people's mental awareness. Yeah, yeah. You think what you get that that FOMO essentially yes, every day, yes. like why I'm having a bad day and these people are like on vacation yep. in or I don't know somewhere in Mexico or whatever, yep. and they're like you're like yeah for sure. So it's a highlight reel, I guess, like for better or worse. Yep. Even like if you take younger kids into account, like young, let's say seventh grade, eighth grade kids who are thirteen, fourteen. 10 even yeah these kids are zoned in like yeah. yeah my generation is bad on the phone like i wake up and naturally i'll open instagram or, or or my emails sometimes without even thinking about it i just i'll wake up turn the alarm off and my phone will, my hand will go to it on its own but take these kids who are younger into account it's like they're they, they grew up all they That's watch all is the ipad or i don't know people on on youtube that are making these different videos or even take like logan paul for example yeah like yeah. the stuff that they've done yeah, they've done a lot of, I guess you can say some good stuff out of it, but at the yeah. same time, like take young kids into account, like that's their TV. It is, and, yeah. And you're locked in because there is so, so much. If I want to go on on and on turn on the TV and, and watch a movie or something, or yeah. see something good, like let's like the show Friends, it's always on at night, like 8, 9 p.m. Yeah, I'll throw a few episodes on, love the show, but there's only a certain amount of Friends I can watch. <laughs> versus these kids on it's YouTube, not unlimited. there is an unlimited amount of Friends you can watch. Yeah, and it's it's just insane. Like, I don't know. The world is, is different. <laughs> it's different for sure. Um, kind of off topic, but it's something I wanted to ask you. So you so you got your um, undergrad in Bryant. Yep. Matt, you got your master's. I got at Bryant my master's too? at Bryant as well. What was your undergrad in? So my undergrad was in it was pre law and politics. Yep, was the program or law and politics was the program. And then which, masters international business with and it focused on a little bit in finance, but it gave me like a nice global view on a lot of different aspects if you're just going to take let's say a business into account and you have like five different sectors or different fields or departments like it really gave me a nice view into everything which is the reason why I went with ib versus something different cool um along those lines what do you think about the whole uh the bank collapse recently insane. is that is that insane. opening a can of worms or they i don't know <laughs> we're in a in a weird situation now because now like now that the bank crisis is going crazy, you saw the Fed raised rates a quarter point um, or 25 basis points, like a, I want to say like a month ago. And then you have like I-bonds are going to get corrected soon. So you'll probably see another increase 
I mean, a lot of people are optimistic for this year, but I'm not genuinely. <laughs> and and taking into account, like I don't have a ton of experience or like, sure, sure. experience capital markets, but I like I like to read. I listen yeah. to a lot of guys who put out good content, and you see, like take all the stuff that's going on in in Asia right now. China and Russia are doing a piece, like they're working on, yeah. on transferring oil transactions to the yen, and then China, like I'm Iranian, I'm Persian, and. Sure. The Chinese just brokered a peace deal between us and the Saudis, which hasn't happened in in years, years. And now if the Saudis are considering moving oil to the yen, and then let's say Iran right now is going through a revolution and and they're in debt. Like, so what's causing the Saudis to say, hey, we'll bail you out. Just go to the yen. Right. And then now you have three of the top oil producing countries in the world all in the same currency. Like, (laughs) (laughs) so I must think like we, we could be going backwards to an extent. So essentially would, do China just have a just a like a chokehold on the oil? Uh, yeah, market? basically. <laughs> or at least they they have like good backing to challenge the right. system. Right. Okay. <laughs> right. But it's I don't know. I mean that's a way off topic from tennis. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> like no, I have, I have stats here on studies of like percentages of kids going pro and kids coming oh, out of college. It. All right. So one of the first things there the first study was done. It was a percent of college tennis players that could go pro like a lot of times you have kids coming in like yeah i want to go pro i always wanted to go pro as a kid i played some big junior pro tournaments like some of the biggest in the world and i used to be surrounded by these kids who come with camps coaches whatever and i was just like here from small state around like just trying to compete when when did you start Ooh, i would say i started five six but okay young yeah but didn't really start until i was like 10 you know what i mean okay like always messed around played with coaches and trained but didn't really like actually play tennis until i was 10 yeah and there yeah. is a study right here it was it's three researchers university university of brussels found percentage of kids in a certain age group of when they started they took the pros in the top 300 broke it down by different categories 200 300 um 150 to 200 150 to 100 and then all the subcategories all yeah. up to number one in the world and they saw that 75% of the top 300 were kids that started 3 to 7. Wow. 21%. <laughs> 75%? Yep. And then <laughs> so they, they started 3 to 10. 3 to 7. Oh, 3 to 7. 3 to 7. Oh but this isn't just God. like, I guess, starting. Like a so lot of these kids actually played. So if you start after the age of 7, your chance of going pro just plummets. 26%. <laughs> oh, my God. 26%. Wow. Yep. And they I feel like most people don't even know they like tennis until high school. No, no. <laughs> yeah. I didn't even really, – yeah. I didn't like it until that, yeah. that point too. Fair, fair. Half the time in college, I, I was like, God, I hate this sport. <laughs> but you're in it. I'm in it. Yeah. That's it. Sometimes when you get that deep into a sport, you do kind of like – I don't know, from from knowing friends that are like – they've been playing hockey their whole life or basketball, they're like, oh, I have to go to practice again. Like it almost becomes a grind. But I think that's probably because of how much work you put into it at oh, that yeah. point. You know? And my family, my dad's side is super athletic. They've been yeah. always. My dad played college soccer, played, I guess, professional club for a year, two years. And my grandfather was a, a cool. gold medalist uh, wrestler. No way. Yeah. yeah. I don't know <laughs> if you knew that. Cool. Zach loves it. He <laughs> no eats way. That up. 40, 48 and 52 is a wrestler. Um, no and my way. grand uncle was a, was a uh, weightlifter. No way. Both of them. Yep. 48, 52. Um, was it uh, from Iran or yep. no? Yep. Iran always has a really good team. Wrestling, weightlifting, volleyball, and soccer. We're yeah. enough for like the four. And like, even even now, I mean, I follow I follow a lot of Olympic weightlifting. Like, Iran always puts out an incredible team. Well, I didn't even know. Zach just told me the newest um, Mr. Olympia is an running guy. Really? I had no idea. Dude's massive. <laughs> That's insane. Massive. And I I would love to know his drug breakdown. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. True. True. Which is insane. <laughs> 
But I guess, like, I don't know, going back to this from from just a, a college standpoint, like 60% of the top 100 started under the age of six. Wow. Of of guys who are in the top 100, or women into yeah. account, too. Men. Okay, okay. And when you see, I guess, people progressing from the college level to go pros, it was they found out of all their, um, by 18, less than 10,000 kids genuinely have a chance of going pro. And they found that out of that 10,000, the study saw that 10 legitimately would go pro out of that 10,000. Out of 10,000. Out of 10,000. 10,000 kids that have a shot and yeah. 10 were guaranteed wow. to, to actually break it into the top 200. So you're, so you're talking about 10,000 tennis players. Tennis players. <laughs> and then wow. if you I don't break that down on a, on a college scale, it's 314 divisional programs and 5,000 divisional players. So out of that division one, kids who are actually going to make it, make a nice living wage and, and do it for 10, right. 15 years. Right. Take top 200 into account. I could probably name 10 right now. Yeah. Out of a span yeah. of, of five, six years. Wow. It's Yeah. It's insane. Yeah. There's not many, it's I guess. Insane. Yeah. And like, I don't know. People always take like, oh, it's hard work. It takes hard work. It takes dedication to exist. Yes, it does. But there are also, in my opinion, a lot of other factors that you have no control of that dictate whether you go or not. It's like the the LeBron James effect. Yes. Like you have to be a free, like a freak of nature. Yep. Not, not even there has to be something special about yep. you. And I've seen it, like yeah. tennis specific. And do you know IMG Academy in Florida? I uh, I've heard of it actually. Yeah, so like a yeah. huge sports academy. They used to yeah. host one of the world's biggest junior tournaments, like for on the junior pro tour. Like it was called the Eddie Her International, and then there was another one at a, another academy, like two back to back. But I used to play the Eddie Her every year, twelve until like seventeen. Oh, and I used to see some of the guys who were younger training, who'd play the tournament, who are now all top twenty, top thirty, top forty. I used to watch these guys. And now that I've I'm I'm five ten, one eighty. But now that I'm I'm older and I'm basically I'm grown out. These kids, I'm convinced, were physically developed at a way faster rate than kids who weren't. Like, there's a guy, Dennis Shapovalov, Canadian kid. used to first got to really watch him and know him when he was, like, 15, 16. This kid was big. He was, like, (laughs) he was tall. Kid was, like, strong, built, like, basically like a a 24, 25-year-old. Yeah, basically, (laughs) at, like, 16, 17. And I was, like, this kid's, he's he's already developed. Yeah. So he's already ahead of the curve compared to anyone who's yeah. in college. Or even so he's going to mop the floor of the competition, yeah. <laughs> essentially. Yeah. Just from a size. That's, that's always attributes. been my – the two factors, and this is off my personal opinion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I always thought being physically developed at a younger age was a big factor. Yep. And then um, – God, I just had the other point on my head, but I just completely forgot it. <laughs> but Coaching? Yeah. Well, not necessarily, but it was um, one, being physically developed, and then two – God, I completely – oh, workout-wise, what what your routine was, I always thought – I mean, this is more common. You've seen the younger pros, the guys yeah. who are anywhere from 20 to 24 who are in the top 100. Lift now more like soccer players or football players than I think. The okay. old traditional tennis, a lot of aesthetics, yeah. uh, like yoga, flexibility okay. work, band work, lighter weights, explosive work. Okay. Rather than – I see guys Wait, now, hip thrust, bench, um, squat – and I think it, it they're less injury prone because their muscles are, are more built to another yeah. sport. Like yes, they're training in their specific sport, but they're more developed in a general sense. Well, that's one of the things that this is more for like youth baseball, but one of the things that predicts injury is kids that don't that they specialize in one sport. 
If you only have, I didn't know if, that. Yeah, especially in youth baseball, if you only play one sport, you're gonna have a high risk of injury. If you start to cross do a couple different sports, like especially in the off season, your chance of having injuries plummets. So from like like I don't know if I played little league, like if I stuck to little league, basically I would have a higher rate of getting yeah. If hurt you only play baseball, football or basketball, with yeah, it. yeah, Shit. especially at a young age, because because you almost like. Like you're saying, like you're overtraining, like you overtrain only the same muscles, you only develop the same muscles versus like your training, which you were training a couple of different things at the same time. Like you're a perfect example of that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I never trained as a good tennis balance. player ever. Played yeah. tennis, but never, <laughs> yeah. never trained. That's why I always felt like I, I never got hurt. Yeah. That was the reason. Never had knee injury, no problems. I mean, every tennis player has lower back pain. That's natural. Yeah, sure. But sure. even then, like I've never really had anything major, even minor. Yeah. Compared to <laughs> friends of mine who, who have had like serious pain. Good shoulder, good. elbow. I don't know, whatever it is. But <laughs> um, uh, also off topic, and then we'll start to get towards the the closing questions here. <laughs> um, what's your favorite tennis shoe? Okay, so I've always been uh, a Nike guy. I okay. always thought Nike had way better shoes. I would say this is um, the Nike Vapor nine point fives or the X. Those are the Roger Federer shoes, basically from a few years ago, and I still okay. I still play with them. So I just nice. they don't make them, but I have to go on eBay and just get an older. Really, set. those are always I thought super lightweight, had a lot of support, um, grip wise were great, never had any issues. They're super comfortable. Another book, if you haven't already read it, um, the Shoe Dog. I gotta read by that Phil Shoe Knight. Dog. Um, it's about the conception and the start of Nike, and like it's inc- I just finished reading an audible it's an incredible book like probably top five books I've read jeez yeah it's really okay. good um, well, they're coming out with the movie the movie now. I can't wait to see the movie um yeah, he, there's one scene in the book where he talks about, like, he's trying to sign endorsement deals for athletes because they didn't really do much of that back in the day. Like, Nike was one of the companies that started doing that. Um, and, they, and they're trying to sign some tennis guys, and they're, they're at this tennis camp, and he's talking to the, whatever the agents or the scouts there. He's like, yeah, like, all these guys are cool. Just stay away from court, like we said, like, court nine or something like that. The guy's a complete asshole. And he goes... And so I walked straight to court nine, and it was Johnny McEnroe. No one, way. Yeah, oh, my God. That he ended up signing. I'm like, oh, that's super funny. He was, uh, he was an actual creative <laughs> legend for Nike. Yeah. Like he kind of changed. McEnroe had his own line, and he kind of created some of the, like, if you take legendary Nike shoes into account, and I know guys specifically, like tennis guys will know, there are set four or five Nike shoes that are like, those are the ones. Yeah. And Rafa had one or two. Federer's had two, three or four. And then there was another one, another guy, Del Potro had. And then McEnroe's shoe. I, I tried to get it as a kid one time. Just, but you can never find them anywhere. Really? But they were like one of the most legendary. It was based off a basketball shoe. Because oh, okay. Johnny Mac, like back in the day, they used to play with higher ankle basketball shoes, sure. basically. Okay. And then he turned it into a low tennis shoe. But that's like one of the, him and Agassi were like the two real Nike guys, I guess, started the way. No way. I okay. Think. You you'd find that book fascinating. You should definitely I gotta read that. I, I read it on Audible and it it's a long like a couple couple hours, but uh it was definitely worth it. It was good. It's one of those books where like you can't wait to read it again, like yep. you get to the next part. But um and the movie should be really good. Um anything else you you had written down that you want to get to? I mean, that's it for me. It was just like crazy for people who I mean, consider nor tennis is, I guess, not one of those sports you you normally take into account unless you're a little bit older or you get into sure. it somehow because it's an easy yeah. sport to play as you get older. Like pickleball now is like the huge, thing. the thing. exploded. I don't think Why? it's. I don't know what it is. I just think everyone <laughs> like has in the a past two years. One, I think it's fun. Two, yeah. it's it's super short movement. Sure, not super physically demanding, and and everyone can play. Like yeah, once I don't know. Let's say we're both fifty, sixty, and and you and I can play and basically exert 100% effort, like, yeah, I'm going to tell my buddies to come play. Yeah, And they're going to yeah. tell their buddies to come play, and it's... 
if you have a competitive itch, like yep. <laughs> this, this, this does it. It's yeah. insane. That's cool. Um, all right, so just a couple questions to finish up. These are kind of like big picture questions, so uh, you take your time to think about it if you definitely if you want to. But so, and I guess we can structure this towards like either, either what you're doing as far as like with your job, as far as like business sales, or you can kind of take it from the uh, standpoint of uh, with tennis. Okay. Or or any way, any yep. direction you want, but kind of I guess thinking of what one of one or two of those things in mind. So first one is what have you found to be the biggest roadblock? Um, either for yourself or maybe maybe clients or, or colleagues um, that gets in the way uh, of your success or, mm-hmm. or their success, and maybe like business or sales or like even like uh, in tennis, and you kind of choose your direction on that one. So I can go. I'll go brief on both. Okay. Um, but now I'm I'm having a career change or not a career change, but I'm I'm trying to move up the ladder and go a bigger, oh. way bigger corporate setting where I basically I want. This sounds weird, but I want to be a number, honestly, for at sure. least a year or two yeah. years and and really grind. Just, like just a, grind. I'm hungry. <laughs> yeah. So. I love it. I want to go into investment banking. Okay. And I guess the roadblock I've had is my career path so far. And I've sure. had some great career path. I used to run run a nonprofit with my friend. We did it was like based on financial literacy and, and asset management for like poor kids and poor schools where we set up a program at the bank. Teach cool that stuff. It was great. Worked for my friend's startup and he was a marketing kid. Yeah. Then I ended up working for a big corporate company. I did um some business development and finance stuff and then I have my current position now. I'm I'm an analyst. But yeah. People ask me, like, why do you have such a unique and, and weird career path all over the spectrum? And it's like at that time, I used to think it was great to be like learn different stuff. Like, I think it's great that I've learned all aspects of the of business in general. But sure. it's also like you didn't have the traditional career path to maybe, yeah, I might have the skills. But on paper, it's like someone can question, hey, why don't you – you didn't do this or you didn't work for a big firm or this. You made like, a lot of lateral moves instead yep, of vertical moves. Instead of vertical moves, yeah. completely. And, yeah. and a mentor of mine, family friend, this guy is like a, a phenomenal – he's a genius. Um, he's an account, but he always told me better to be a specialist than a generalist. Sure, and, sure. And now that's definitely, I guess, biting me in the ass. And especially like – I wanted to go to law school, did everything, studied law, but now that I want to go to the banking and, and investments around, like I, I know I want to do it. Yeah. People, that's one of the first questions. Why'd you study law? Yeah, yeah. Hey, there's nothing wrong with studying yep. law. That shows yep. you. Well, I was just talking to someone the other day who um, is, uh, it's funny, just the, the book is on my mind, but uh, another thing on that, who just is just finishing law school. And um, they're talking about the LSAT. Yep, and I'm like, so like, what? Do you, what's on the test? Like, to get, dude, it's nothing. It, like, I, I it's, took my LSATs. It has zero. To, and it, <laughs> they're like, it, it basically tests your ability of logic. Yes. I'm like, well, so what do you mean? <laughs> like, I remember I, this. This one, I had a professor. Um, this guy's one of my favorite professors, Professor Marnane, and he is a environmental studies guy and humanities guy. And in his course, I I ended up taking all a bunch of his courses because I loved him as a teacher mm-hmm. and read over this article by a certain author and what do you know i take my lsats the next month this article about polar <laughs> ice glaciers and 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 i don't know where esg is going was like literally on the exam and i was yeah. like what the fuck <laughs> i was like why is this basically it, and it was a passage right of the article i had just read yeah and i was like i was just shocked because normally i mean i studied for the exam but it was like you don't. Ex- you take the exam and you know it has nothing to do with law, but you don't. You have no idea what's on there. Yeah, it could be something about tennis. It could be something about basketball. It could be literally about like the population of homeless people in in a certain country. Like you have no idea. Yeah, yeah, that's that's absolutely wild. So yeah, and I was asking like, so there are math question. There's no math on yep. the entire test. I'm yep. like, 
uh i just i just couldn't comprehend like nope. so what's on it <laughs> like yep. but um but anyway so yeah real quick that book um the, the shoot dog book that he was talking about like when it, during his early hirings he said it didn't matter what position he was trying to fill he would only hire lawyers and accountants Interesting. like if it was like a sales guy marketing guy he did hire a lawyer accountant to do that and and people would be like uh they were part of his company be like why is our entire company lawyer accountants? He's yep. like, because I know they're going to be really like they're smart. On it. Yep. <laughs> yeah, they're really good. So, um, so then no, that's cool. That's that's cool that you went and did that. And I guess to answer quickly from a tennis standpoint, yeah, I always wish I trained harder when I was younger. Yeah. Always, my biggest thing is yeah, I trained, lifted, worked hard. One, I was a little late. Mm. Two, I just didn't play enough tournaments. Like, sure, sure. Match plays a huge thing, especially in the U.S. Being a junior. Coming into college, I had the lowest match experience compared to anyone on my team. It was very obvious. And my first month in school, I had two of the biggest wins, I think, one I've ever had in my career. And my coach used to always tell me, like, top 10 win at Bryant just because it was, no it was, like, it was like, shocking. Like, yeah. I shouldn't be matched up. And it was a doubles match, but I shouldn't be matched up to these two kids, and I shouldn't have ever had a chance. And it was just that was one of the biggest things I lacked. When I got into a match, you do certain points or in certain positions – mentally you don't know how to behave to you don't know sure. how to, if it's 30 40 and it's like i'm serving at four or five and the entire team's matched on the line like i don't have the experience to know what serve i should hit or what my next ball is to automatically win the point right i don't have right that. so maybe i'm going to be more inclined to i don't know make a decision to to serve down the tee and that's not the percentage ball Right. But in my head, I'm like, oh, I, I haven't been in this position, but yeah, that may be it. But it's sure. Not. You know what I mean? So that was my biggest thing that I noticed. Match play. Match play. You're yep. just getting reps in, in competition. Yep. That's cool. I like that. Um, and then next question is basically the flip side of that. So what have you found to be the biggest, uh, the, I call it keystone habit. So this is coming from the book uh, Atomic Habits. Yep. Which is in a, that's, that's on my list, uh, actually. That's that's another top five book I've ever read. I've that heard. was fantastic. Um Really easy to read too, and it's good. But uh, so biggest keystone habit, and the way they describe it in the book is like one habit. Like if you think about the keystone arch, one habit that basically almost like domino effects like a bunch of other habits. Okay. Um. So it's like some of the examples they use in the book are like um, uh, I don't know, like maybe like starting a running program, like just all of a sudden starts making you also like drink more water and like eat healthier and like go out less like that one habit kind of like dominoed all these other habits right when you said that instant <laughs> off my head discipline is the okay. first way i could put it so yeah. i mean there are so many examples you can put the back the word discipline like for example this gym coming in and you're surrounded by guys who are all in phenomenal fucking shape yeah. guys who are <laughs> ripped putting up heavy weights working their ass off and i've always considered you don't really get a good workout unless you're actually sweating. Like sometimes sure, I come in sure. and I'm not sweating. I'm like, I just wasted my entire time. <laughs> like that's just how I view it. Yeah. But it's discipline in a lot of different aspects, food, time management, your scheduling, actually going to work hard. And, and every, like take college to account. A lot of people like view it as student athletes, maybe even at division one level, uh, don't have a lot of time. Sure. I sometimes felt that I honestly had too much time just because we're all put into a set schedule. Like you show up, an advisor makes your classes if you didn't pick it for yourself. So let's yeah. say 8 a.m., 9 a.m., you have four or five hours. You're just kind of, I don't know, doing work, something. You have lift at, this is our specific schedule. We had lift 2 to, two to 3, 3.15, and then we had practice like 4 to 6. Yeah. And then I used to love taking night classes, so let's add night class. Mm-hmm. But I had like – You're a night a, owl. Uh, yeah, I had a bunch of, <laughs> bunch of stuff to do during the day, and it was – 
how can I stay disciplined? I don't know, go do something or go do some, like after I finish my two classes, why don't I go do some homework? But there were a lot of times where I wasn't disciplined enough to even like after my two classes, go into a study room and do some extra work or even on an off day, go get an extra lift in and just stay some type of active or even yeah. eating the right food. That's sure, the biggest sure. thing I see now. Like for me last summer, I was in phenomenal shape because, and, and I'm a drinker. Like I, I drink sure. straight tequila. That's it. <laughs> so when we're, and we're in Newport too, great scene. Yeah. When me and our buddies used to go out, I would come here for two hours and, and literally have crazy lifts before I went out. Yeah. And yeah. I was disciplined to before I go out or if I know that I'm drinking or taking excess calories in, like I'm coming to work hard. And you have a better time when you're out too. That Once you've gotten that, you're lifting, yep. you're like, all right, I can relax a little bit. Yeah. I can enjoy myself a little bit. I I've put the work in. I was in great shape. Like yeah. I was in phenomenal shape. Yeah. And, and I was at, I was like 170. After the summer kind of ended, I put on some weight and I track it in my fitness pal. I've been tracking yeah, my yeah. weight for four years, my dead weight. So I've been seeing it right when September came around, I started to put on weight. And now this sounds terrible, but I have a calendar on, on my fridge and it's a picture of three. And I have, um, on one page, I have a picture of three professional athletes. Um, yeah. one's a football player, one's a tennis player and one's a, a bodybuilder. Yeah. All dudes are shredded, Yeah, but their pictures are right under the calendar. When I X off every single day, I worked out. Let's go 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock comes the night when I go to open the fridge right on the door handle, these guys' picture is, is right next to it. So I know I like these, that it's on the fridge. These too. dudes are, are shredded for a reason because they're not eating at 10, 11, 12, maybe something shitty or whatever it's like, I'm literally about to do. Yeah. So it's, <laughs> it's caused me to stop. It caused me to automatically break bad habits. I love because that. Because I'm, I'm pressuring myself to see these three guys who are professional athletes and they're shredded. They must be eating or doing something differently than I'm doing that I'm not in that position. Totally. So it forces me to to want to eat cleaner. And, and a friend of mine, he used to be a bodybuilder. He was a trainer. Yeah. And he used to have major eating problems. He ended up buying a, a timer, like a lock with a chain on it. <laughs> this guy to clean up his body and force himself to find good habits and be disciplined. Yeah. Put a bike chain around his fridge handles with the lock and only allowed him to open it twice a day. Oh my God. So if he opened the fridge twice and once by accident, like he was done. He was done. No was more. Done. <laughs> After a few months, he, he got into a great habit and now yeah. he, obviously he's not like that anymore, but yeah, yeah. he's super clean and now he feels great. He loves it. That's he, incredible. He, was, he built discipline on his own but i think discipline yeah people have to one you can say you can go find discipline you can grow it yeah but also at the same time like you have to be very dedicated i think to go and and build your own discipline but at the same time i think for a lot of people it just hits you one day like yeah something just clicks in your head and sure you become disciplined. that light bulb moment or the aha moment yep. or even like um and i heard a lot of think like sometimes just do stuff without thinking just go yeah i heard a lot of people even say like but once they really find their like their deep why of like what they're what they're doing as far as like in their sport athleticism gym like then it allows them to like really dial into like their discipline to kind of like relate back to it mm-hmm. like this is why I'm doing it and and I've heard that too which is cool yep. that was that's the word I put up there over anything discipline yeah I like that all right so uh, last question we got for you so um, this is this is from Tim Ferriss's podcast so essentially you can think about it a little bit too if you, if you need some time but if you have a favorite quote or a mantra or a saying, and the way he describes it is, um, so you're mostly in East Greenwich, right? Yes. So right by 95. Mm-hmm. Um, do you come over the bridge to come here? Uh, yeah, I do. I used to go sometimes through Massachusetts, but I just preferred going yeah. over the bridge. Yeah, because it, it, right in the area, it might tell you either way to go north or south, yep. right? To come right. to Portsmouth. That's exactly the spot. You can go either north or you can go south. It's basically the same amount of time. All so. right, so, so I don't know the billboards 
um, I don't know if there are any billboards if you go uh, over the bridge, but uh, north is a ton. So let's say the way I, I Tim Ferriss describes it essentially, or I describe it, is on 95, uh, you, where the big blue bug is, yes. there's that Rob Levine billboard. Yes. And I always use his name. One day he's going to come after me. <laughs> but uh, you get his billboard for the day. Yep. Um, and uh, you can put whatever you want to the city, the, uh, the people of Rhode Island, like or, or kind of like your, your community, your city, like a favorite quote, mantra, or saying, or anything you want to put on there. What, what would you put? That's interesting. <laughs> um, I mean, I've always, I guess, had some of my own where I I put myself in certain positions. But, I mean, I could name ones off other people, but one that yeah. I guess I, I've always felt that I've had uh, really high self-confidence and – Obviously, I I can wear or do whatever I want, and I I'm I'm confident, genuinely confident, and and I I feel great all the time. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of factors that go into it. If different society factors or whatever it is, like you dress a certain way, you become more confident. And in the eyes of other people, we're naturally a society that judges people. So sure. Dress a certain way, you get judged better. And I mean, I genuinely believe in those factors, and some other people might. That's fine. But one thing that I believe I found at this quote personally, and it's um. No one, um, God, what was exactly word for word? <laughs> oh, um, you have to love yourself or no one else will. That's great. That was one that always, like, I've seen guys on my team not confident or this, that, other people. And I was like, you have to love yourself, bef- like, and then you'll, that's you'll realize. You know I like I mean? that a lot. I you think have to love yourself powerful. before anyone will. Yeah, that's really good. Cool. I can say that confidently. Yeah, so. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> All right, good stuff. Uh, we'll end on that. We're we're ninety minutes in. I know we I, went a long way. I usually I usually keep it to an hour, but we we were going, so I love it. Uh, thanks for coming on, man. Thank you, man. Appreciate you. That was awesome. Me. This was awesome. I'm I'm glad I did this. Yeah, so good. I'm hoping the viewers get to see this. Yeah, this will be good. <laughs> uh, all right, Rody Strength signing off.